0: And what I had to learn there was like how to grow up and be an entrepreneur. And, and so I had to develop a completely different skill set than when I just owned a bunch of small businesses. But the mistakes that I made on the small business side were actually great training lessons for uh, things that I would encounter when the stakes were
1: a lot higher. Welcome back to The Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on The Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go and lives to impact. Speaking of that. Chris Cooper is a serial entrepreneur who has seen a lot of success. So now he's passing on what he's learned through a mentorship company for entrepreneurs called Two Brain Business. Chris is focused on the nuts and bolts of entrepreneurship, like what are the phases people go through when developing scalable businesses and how do people move between them? To answer these questions, Chris brings together his personal business experience, an incredible consistency in fact he's written a blog post every day for the last 10 years and a keen understanding of the benefits of entrepreneurship one of the macro benefits that chris sees is that entrepreneurship make economies less fragile. A lot of cities and towns rely on major industrial employers, and when they close down or leave, that has a major impact on the economy of that region and almost every family in it. Chris says what these places need to bounce back is an anti-fragile approach, which is not one big industrial employer, but rather 300 small businesses. Another benefit is that when people don't have to worry about money, they can worry about the important, impactful things like spending time with their kids and living in alignment with their values. You may think that being an entrepreneur isn't for everybody. But Chris didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family or have access to a lot of extra resources. In fact, he attributes his jump into entrepreneurship to two former personal training clients who saw that personal training wasn't exactly paying the bills, and that pushed him to start his first company. If it sounds like you're in the same shoes that Chris had back then... Working for someone else but struggling to pay your bills, he has a lot of helpful tips. Number one, it's super important to have both wins to motivate you and losses to keep you humble. Number two, to get into the habit of paying yourself at the start of your business. And number three, focus on the information that applies to you and filter out the rest. Through his mentoring practice, Chris also identified four phases of entrepreneurship, which he wrote about in his latest book, Founder, Farmer, Tinker, Thief, The Four Phases of the entrepreneur's journey. This is a great conversation. Chris and I actually have a lot in common and a mutual friend in Greg Amundsen. And I will be appearing on Chris's show in the very near future. So bust out your pen some paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Chris Cooper, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. I am uh, pumped to, uh, to meet another fellow scribe author scribe family member and and host you on the show and talk about your your book and your experience in entrepreneurship both the the euphoric moments which are few and far between and the the in the trenches and and we were actually talking before we hit record you're from Canada Ontario area and you're a bandwagon fan of the raptors as you mentioned I'm i I'm a bandwagon fan of the golden state warriors my daughter on the other hand is a Die hard. She's twelve years old. I, I think I said she was eleven. She's actually twelve. She is a die hard Warriors fan. Has been since she was like six years old. Wow. I mean, just bleeds the gold and blue, and really, you know, really wanted. Obviously, like all the Warriors fans did, um, wanted another championship. And you know, we we um, we gave it our all. We had a broken and a battered injury riddled team and still we performed exceptionally well against a really great team and i think that there's something to be said about that a correlation to be drawn between the idea of entrepreneurship and having a value proposition and being a competitor but it just not being your day and dealing with disappointment and i maybe we can kick it off there and then we'll go back into kind of your origin story but You work with entrepreneurs around the world, thousands of entrepreneurs, and really great ones, like that Mm -hmm. have really great ways to add value to their customers and their, their the people that they're serving. And yet there's always a loser on the other side of any sort of transaction, right? Somebody lost out on the opportunity to deliver their good or service to their clients that they were competing with. How do you coach your your, your your clients to deal with disappointment?
0: That happens quite a bit. And honestly, Mike, that's why we're a mentorship practice. But you know, the map that we show them or the graphic is when you're in the founder phase, you're often taking one step forward and one step back. And it, it feels like you're not getting any traction. Uh, but as you progress, if you systemize your operations and you standardize your level of care and stuff... Then after a while it becomes two steps forward and one step back, and then three steps forward and one step back and four. And and eventually over time, you you start to get on these big winning streaks, you know, like Golden State. And you start to feel like, man, we, we're unbeatable. We can never lose, right? Uh, and then, you know, thank goodness, once in a while, Kawhi Leonard shows up and you have to take a step back again. And, you know, it's just as important, you know, when you're successful to realize that you're not going to win every game as it is when you're a founder to understand that you're not going to lose every game either And throughout the process it's super important to have both wins to in- encourage and motivate you and losses to keep you humble.
1: Yeah, I think that's incredibly important. I think that it's it's an opportunity always to to reevaluate what I, as I was telling you, just before you came on, I had a for- the former lead solo pilot for the Blue Angels. And one of the things that he was sharing with me is like, obviously, like they're flying in precision formation, sometimes 18 inches apart from each other. Sometimes they're making these hairpin turns where they can actually see the their rivets of the aircraft next to them with air- where one second Earlier, late, they would have crashed into each other, and boom! Right? But wow. the only, the only, and so along the way, even as they're precisely executing, they're making thousands of corrections along the way in throughout this throughout this performance. He was saying, and one of the things that they do at the end of every performance, every demo, and and everybody, organizations across the military do this. All the time, and 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 really good business businesses and entrepreneurs do this, and that's a debrief. That's like an, an after-action review type thing, and a disappointment, a, a a sale lost, a a client who fired you, whatever it might be, presents an opportunity to go back and reevaluate where the process went awry. Where where do you think that most people, most entrepreneurs? In the in the process, like miss a step,
0: I would say it's probably in evaluating. Um, so quite often, we'll deal with entrepreneurs who are trying three or four different ideas at once, and you know maybe they get a little bit of success, but they're not really sure which variable caused it and which one they should keep doing. So they're kind of scared to abandon any of them or, or prune their tree, or you know maybe they try two or three things at once, and because they can't go all in on the idea. They fail at all of them, and then they say, "Well, that doesn't—you know—Facebook marketing doesn't work, Instagram doesn't work, Click Funnels don't work." You know, it's really common, uh, but they haven't devoted all their attention to it because they're so scared it's going to fail that they're hedging their best with these other half-assed attempts. Um, so, the real failure of most entrepreneurs is to control and test like one variable at a time, measure objectively how much success you're having from that, and then move on to the next instead of just
1: kind of shotgunning every idea out there at once. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur when, when you were a kid? Did you want... Did you have a, a childhood dream of being an entrepreneur? Or did you want to be like a... What do what what they have? They don't... They have uh, Mounties, right? That's what the police officers are. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I wanted to drive a backhoe and I wanted to
0: be a uh, sports radio announcer. <laughs> and now, I, actually, I do both of those things now. But I mean, when I was a very young kid, I got this book called No Coins, Please. And this is this crazy serendipity, Mike. Um, so I would have been 6 or 7 years old. And it was about this kid who made a ton of money starting these businesses. And the author, Gordon Korman, is still around, still very popular, but he mostly writes about animals now. And so that put the idea in my head that like, whoa, here's an exciting way to make a lot of money. And the kid in the book never has a bad idea. Nothing ever fails. So I'm like, well, this is easy. here's the serendipitous part about a month ago I remembered this book and I said I want to buy it for my kids but it's out of print and so I had to find like one of these antique booksellers they shipped it and it arrived today an hour before you asked me that question
1: no way that's amazing that's amazing it probably cost you freaking arm and a leg too to get that book
0: (laughs) no I'll send you a picture of it it's across the room in my bag right now but yeah I mean it's worth it no that's
1: that's awesome
0: there's not enough books out there that really teach kids the value of entrepreneurship. And that's part of
1: our mission, which you know we can talk about later. Yeah. What do you think is the value of entrepreneurship?
0: Well, number one, it it makes our economy less fragile. You know, so I come from an industrial town where in the last 10 years, the three Major employers, which were all heavy industry, are gone. They're bankrupt, and so what happens is you get this trickle down effect, where you know the primary earners are gone, and now you know their families are gone, and now their kids are gone, and now there's no secondary jobs created from this industry. So what the city needs to bounce back is um, an anti fragile approach, which is not you know one big industrial employer, but 300 small businesses. And so that's why our home base is here in Sault Ste. Marie, because that's what we want to do. But what it really comes back to is teaching kids that the careers that their teachers had, where you graduate university, you join the union, you do that for 30 years, and then you have this pension, that's not going to be there for them. And so the safest path is actually entrepreneurship. Because if your first idea doesn't work out, you're still an entrepreneur and you're going to have more ideas. Uh, And so, you know, part of our mission is to spread that message to especially high school students. But we also run a bunch of summer camps here for kids where they build their own companies and they pitch like on Shark Tank and stuff
1: like that. You've seen in the last 10 years all of these business, these industrial organizations, these big conglomerates collapse and move out and families move out. Have you seen, have you witnessed a change in the tenor of? The way that people relate with one another in terms of their identity and their sense of purpose and and value in that over that 10 years too.
0: Yeah, it's funny, Mike. Like This was actually brought up at a book signing uh, event last night that we were at. And this guy said, I don't know what to do about it. But when I was a kid, when there was a funeral procession going down the street, all the cars pulled over and waited. And that was it. And now nobody does that. Why do you think that is? And so I've actually been thinking about this question before you asked it, and a lot of it has to do with values. When people uh, have money, they don't worry about money, they don't think about money. But when they don't have money, it's all they think about. And so you don't kind of have like this extra time with your kids where you're talking about values, and you pull over when the when the funeral procession goes by. All of your conversations are about money. How expensive this thing is, you know. And then it really becomes like a completely different family dynamic, and i don 't want that to happen. you know I, I want people to be able to enrich their families through
1: entrepreneurship, and
0: that that 's the path that I can influence and so that 's the one that we mentor people on.
1: Did you come from an entrepreneurial family? did you have any business? Owner? No no, my parents are
0: both uh, both teachers, which in Canada is um a very union heavy job in, you know, a soft socialist country. So, you know, they both encouraged me to get into teaching. They both love teaching. Don't get me wrong, but they took that career path because they both came from the uncertainty of the depression. And so they wanted me to take like the secure route. So it, actually in a lot of ways, they don't even understand what I do. Um, but no, they were, hmm. they were uh, career people through and through and, and union, you know, all the way.
1: Have you uh, have you ever had the conversation, or have your parents ever asked you? So, how do you make money again? <laughs> yeah, they, you know they don't really. It,
0: it's funny. So when they both retired, they tried to open a tea house, and I don't know why they just wanted to try entrepreneurship. And after the second summer, they were really excited because they had only lost eight thousand dollars that year. And I said, well, you know that's great. I hope you're having fun, but like that's not that's not entrepreneurship. You know, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. is like you're fighting with your spouse for buying the expensive cheese. Um, so now that we're successful, we're also beyond the scope of their their context or their understanding. And so, if I show up and I've got like a gift for them that's thousand dollars, like they almost refuse to take it, right? Because that's it's too extravagant. Like Chris can't afford that. Chris needs to save for his retirement. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and reading my book, they're like, "Why do you say you're retired in this book?" You know, you still go to work, and
1: it, it's a completely different world now. Mike. It's a different mindset entirely. Totally. Yeah. Um, who was the first person to express belief in your potential besides yourself? Obviously.
0: Well, they both supported me a lot. I think the the biggest pivot point came when a couple of my clients, whose names were Luke and Norm, who were entrepreneurs themselves, they were coming to me as personal training clients, and um, you know we were in a tight spot. I wasn't earning enough as a personal trainer. My wife was really the breadwinner, but she didn't want to go back to her job after our baby was born, my first daughter. So both both of these guys just said, Hey, you need to own your own business. You're not making enough. I was making maybe like $19,000 a year. And um, so this afternoon, we made an appointment for you with, with a realtor. And you're going to go find some space and we're going to come with you. And collectively, they loaned me sixteen thousand dollars, which was like a you know a billion dollars to me then. And uh, yeah, they were, they took twenty five percent of the company in the beginning, and and that launched it. Why would they do that? Uh, number one, they they saw that you know they could probably make a good return, and they they did definitely. Second, these these are just passionate entrepreneurs who love empowering other entrepreneurs,
1: as you and I both do. Mm-hmm. And had you guys like. Cultivated that relationship over time, like as you're training them? I mean,
0: honestly, I'd never met Norm before that. Um, So I had worked with Luke, you know, we'd exchanged some ideas. He had tried to give me some business advice, and he could see that I was just timid and I was not going to jump ship myself. And so he, that's the kind of guy he is, you know, he just kind of took the decision out of my hands. And what really did it was we went out to meet the realtor that first day. I came back and the owner of the gym where I worked had found out about it and basically said, you know, you're fired. So, hmm. th- you know, the boats had been burned even though I didn't light the match.
1: Were you scared? Totally. Yeah, totally. In just a moment, hit pause and head over to Amazon and pick yourself up a copy of Master the Key, a story to free your potential, find meaning, and live life on purpose, which is a number one Amazon bestseller and I promise you will make you think differently and might even have a transformational impact in your life. If you don't believe me, then check out this review from Amazon. Master the key is evocative. So often, we lose sight of what authenticity is. In searching for authenticity, we often ask ourselves why we matter, what in our life is meaningful. Ultimately, what we love and find our identity in determines who we will become. Authenticity leads to being our true self and evokes us to being models of inspiration. So often we are bound by the stories of those around us and we don't pursue our dreams. Master the Key has allowed me to look at what takes place around me in every moment and unlock my potential in the most intricate of moments, an evocative story and helpful message. Thank you, Stowe, for leaving that review. Now you can hit pause, head over to Amazon, bust out your wallet this time, and take a minute to pick up a copy or two for of uh, Master the Key for yourself, for your friends, for your family. It will be the best $15 if you buy the paperback or the best $7 if you buy the Kindle version that you spend today. Thank you for your support. I look forward to hearing what you think about Master the Key. Now bust out your pens and paper as we get back to the show. Going back to this conversation I just had with this fighter pilot, he was saying that a lot of times he was scared. The first time he went up in the, as a Blue Angel... He was in a, situ- a dangerous situation where he was scared, but he was not afraid. He was scared because it was a dangerous situation, hmm. but he wasn't afraid because he wasn't stuck. So, And he knew how to manage his way out of it. So how did you... When you're paralyzed, you're fearful, all of that stuff, there's a lot on the line. How did you manage fear?
0: Well, I think in the founder phase, you know, leveraging those emotions, fear panic, even anger, I, I think are really powerful. Um, but anybody who's worked with behavior or emotion or you know, habitual change for a long time knows that doesn't last for very long. And so when you start your business and you're terrified, you can leverage that. You know That's what wakes you up at 4 in the morning. That's what puts a smile on your face at 5 in the morning. That's what keeps you going until 9 at night. The problem is that you have to make a massive pivot in your career or you're just going to burn out. That just mm-hmm. won't last forever. It'll turn into depression, disappointment,
1: resentment. You know? What was your first failure as an entrepreneur?
0: Um, I think it was the failure to ask for money. I mean, we had I had to get paid the first Friday that I was open, or we wouldn't eat. And you know, on Monday and Tuesday, I was shy about asking my clients for money, and I was doing stupid things like, "Oh, if you bought a package at this other gym, I'll honor it here." Uh, and then I realized, like, I'm not going to get paid. And so by Wednesday night, I was really overcoming a lot of that shyness uh, because I had to. But now, when we work with a lot of entrepreneurs, they have a better parachute than I did. You know, they have a, a partner with a good income, or, you know, maybe they've got a three month buffer or something. And so they're terrified of asking people for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we try to actually put their back to the wall and say, hey, you, you've got to eat on Friday, start
1: selling. How do you do that?
0: There's a process to it. I mean, uh, typically it's, it's mindset. So we say um, you have to start this habit by paying yourself $100 a week. And in the founder phase, that's one of your first goals is to get to break even plus enough positive cash flow to pay yourself. And that's it's a cash flow goal, but it's also a habit that we're creating there because many entrepreneurs starve themselves for as long as they possibly can and like reinvest money into the business. And while that looks great on paper, they've never developed the habit of paying themselves. And so when it's time, it's crazy painful. And meanwhile, they've starved themselves too long. Their, their family's going hungry. There's all kinds of resentment. You really shouldn't do that. And, and so we
1: try and teach them not to. So w- as it relates to the, your book, you, you've got these four different phases that every entrepreneur goes through and goes through yeah. probably multiple times. You've got the founder, you've got the farmer. You've got the tinker and you've got the thief. So why don't you break down for us a little bit about... Actually, before you do that, actually, I want to know why this is the best time to be an entrepreneur and how applying those four, understanding those four phases will set you up to succeed in this great time of entrepreneurial innovation. Okay
0: why it's the best time ever to be an entrepreneur is because the social safety net has never been higher. You know? I mean, if you and I in North America, if our business fails, we will not starve to death. You know, we will not be begging for change on the streets. Our family will not disown us. We won't be thrown out of our church. Okay? That, 100 years ago, that stuff was happening. 50 years ago, you know, it was a tremendous risk to open a business. The other... Coming from the other end, there's so much good information, good ideas and good opportunities out there that it's really easy to start a business. Your eight-year-old can start a business now and actually make money online. It's amazing. The problem is that there are so many great ideas now that most entrepreneurs struggle with overwhelm or frustration, or they're very, very busy, but they're not actually getting anywhere and so i've watched as my you know my role as mentor has changed over the last 5 years from teacher to filter and now after having worked with over 2000 we can say here's the the stage that you're in here's the information that applies to you and let's just focus on that and mm-hmm. that's why
1: i wrote the book you know i think that the Idea or the reality of overwhelm is a, a massive one. I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. Like, it's just so noisy. It's just so noisy. There's so much noise. You were talking about Facebook and Instagram and all of this. Like, I'm like social. Me- and it it's like a necess- social media is a necessary evil mm-hmm. today. And it and it's just like such a drag. And it it's so mm-hmm. overwhelming on all of the different options and and like and then I and like that the idea of a funnel and all I mean there's just so much noise out there. Like like how do you get someone I, I guess it's probably if I were to guess it's it's somewhere between the founder and the farmer phase where they're cultivating kind of an understanding of what the soil is and what the environment is and getting rid of some things and keeping other things and so how how do you coach someone through that?
0: Well, what we do is we give them filters to make decisions, and then we give them focus based on the results. So the filters are usually what do your clients want, and so we help them identify who their best clients are, and then they have conversations with these clients. And I don't know if you've read Mike McCallowitz's Pumpkin Plan. That's an excellent book, and it'll give you a great strategy for doing this. And then from there, we say, Okay, well, here's what our clients are actually buying from us, which is probably different from what we think we're selling. And we should just focus on those things. And then we can also uh, help entrepreneurs set a very specific goal so they have like a point B that they're aiming for. And we call that perfect day. And then we say, Okay, here are all the steps to get to your perfect day, financial, time-based, you know, um, mental acuity and focus. And then we can we can measure their progress based on like KPIs to get there. That process really requires mentorship, and uh, it's the same as what my mentors do for me. Most of the time, they're not giving me ideas. Ninety percent of the time, they're saying, "Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Focus on this one thing for the next three months."
1: Mm-hmm. One of the things you just said is is helping your clients understand the difference between what your what the clients what their clients which are your clients are buying versus what mm-hmm. they're selling so what what did when did you realize that in your own business and what was it well
0: i mean i read mckallowitz's book about 3 years ago and i said this is going to be a fun exercise and at the time i had maybe 3 businesses so i had a gym that was a crossfit gym i had a cognitive training company called ignite gym and i had a rehab company called spark Catalyst, Ignite, and Spark. So at Catalyst, I thought, okay, I know why my people come to the gym because CrossFit is hard, but it's fun and it gives them amazing results. And uh, it feels like a game every day. And they come to my gym because I am the most knowledgeable trainer in town. And so I identified my seed clients, took them for lunch, asked them the questions, and I was dead wrong. They told me that they came to my gym because they don't have to think. They can turn their brain off, and a coach tells them exactly what to do. Um, then they said they they picked my gym because that was the only time all day that somebody said you're doing a good job. Hmm. Uh, amazing. And finally, kind of the more predictable answer was, I feel like people like me there. And so, with that in mind, I pivoted everything. Yeah, you know, I changed our website. I changed our intake process. I changed, uh, you know, how soon we in. Uh, introduce clients to other clients. Um, I started prioritizing a different type of coach. You know, the most successful fitness coach in history is Richard Simmons. Richard Simmons does not have a master's degree in kinesiology. Richard Simmons shows up and smiles every damn time.
1: And uh, I had lost sight of that. Hmm. I live in Santa Cruz. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't. That's amazing. Yeah. The birthplace of CrossFit. Yes. Yeah, and and uh, I go to CrossFit Amundsen, which is Greg Amundsen's gym. He's he was the first guest on my podcast. Oh, really? No kidding. Greg's a friend. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Greg, so I I'll see him this afternoon. Well, tell him hello. I will. I will. That's funny. I want to actually learn a little bit about this ignite this cognitive gym thing.
0: Sure. I mentioned my first two partners, and right. one one uh, has a son with autism, and. At the time, uh, his son was around eight years old. They were doing Applied Behavioral behavioral Therapy, ABA. I can't remember what the second A stands for now. Uh, and it was working. You know, They were seeing some results. Um, but they also noticed, and th- this was a very active family, they would also notice that he did a lot better at ABA therapy after the family went for a bike ride. Mm-hmm. And so they spent tons and tons of time uh, helping him ride a bike. And then they said, well, what if we brought him into the gym, did his workout, and then did his ABA therapy? And so we started playing around with it. At the same time, you know, 2008, John Rady was publishing a book called Spark about like how your brain rewires itself. Uh, he had a lot of great research coming out of Harvard. So I actually flew out to talk to him about it. And uh, what we came up with was this Ignite Gym program. And first, we started working with a couple of kids who had autism. Uh, then we started working with people who had like traumatic brain injury. And uh, I just, I actually sold the company about a year ago to the person who was running it because Two Brain Business, our mentoring practice was growing so big uh, that I had to focus on our core mission. But it, mm. it, the
1: company is still alive and strong and just doing miraculous things. What's the most surprising thing you've learned about yourself? And maybe your capacity for suffering as an entrepreneur. <laughs> oh my goodness!
0: Um, I think I think that entrepreneurial training is a lot like fitness training. You need intensity instead of volume. You need to go hard, and then you need to supercompensate. So you need to take some breaks too. You know, and recently, the, our company went from a quarter million dollar company to like you know a five million dollar company overnight, and. Suddenly we have 700 gyms and we have 30 mentors around the world and we're operating on a 24-hour day and I'm hiring people you know, who are specialists and know their job better than I ever did. And they're super expensive and all this stuff. And what I had to learn there was like how to grow up and be an entrepreneur. And, and so I had to develop a completely different skill set than when I just owned a bunch of small businesses, mm-hmm. but the mistakes that I made on the small business side were actually great training lessons for uh, things that I would encounter when the stakes were a lot higher.
1: What was the the linchpin that that? propelled you from a quarter million dollar a year to a $5 million a year business. There's really... It's a two-sided
0: coin. The the first is content production. Um, I just passed the 10-year mark like last week of publishing a blog post every single day for entrepreneurs, mostly for gym owners. So that consistency has built a lot of trust over the years. We recently found a marketing partner who's... They specialize in digital marketing. And when you marry that, that bank of trust or that trust platform, with uh, the ability to get in front of eleven thousand gym owners every single day, you really start to take off. And so, mm. you know, without any ads at all, I think our ad spend one year was twelve dollars. You know, we we grew to a multi million dollar company since adding the marketing experts that we have now, who you know believe in the same mission. We
1: do have the same values. We do. We've more than doubled. Wow, that's 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 amazing. That's amazing. And, it's amazing when you combine a great product with the right talent what can happen you know yeah. and and doors can just can just open and it's it's about finding not just the people with the skill set but also the people who are bought in on what you're trying to do because you could find a lot of great talented marketing people that don't care about what you're doing. And something's going to, they might give you some results, but they're not going to get you the same results.
0: That's right. I mean, you know, so these guys would never come to me and say, we need to get more attention on Instagram. We think you should attack this competitor because they know that's not something I'm going to do. You know, and sometimes the opposite actually happens. Somebody that's just seeking a lot of attention in the space realizes that we're the prime target because we're so far ahead and they'll just throw some spears at us. You know, And we don't, even, we don't even respond because we don't... They're just trying to get attention. But our marketing guys, uh, they, don't, they don't go for that. They've got 10 years of content. They've got an email list with 12,000 names on it. In fact, Mike, like some of your listeners might think this is nuts. Our daily open rate for emails... We send an email every single day. There's 11,800 people on the list as of this morning. Our daily open rate is 43% that's like that's unheard of. Yeah. And that's just kind of the trust that we've built. So when we go to that list and say, "Hey, we've got this amazing service,"
1: that translates into
0: registration a lot. Hmm. Hmm.
1: And I'm I'm sure so another level of entrepreneurship in in your framework is the tinker phase, yeah. right? The tinker phase, which I think that's probably the the most fun part of of becoming <laughs> yeah. an entrepreneur right? Yeah. Like the tinkering and like the... So like give us a story about where there, somebody, some, one of your clients started tinkering and had a breakthrough or an aha moment. Sure. Yeah.
0: So um, we have a lot of clients who made their first business successful and they were able to automate it, take their hand off the wheel and let it run itself. But then because they're still an entrepreneur, they're thinking like, what's next? And it's usually not, oh, I got to try and think of an idea. It's I have to choose between one of these five ideas that I already have. And so in many cases, the entrepreneur will open up a second location or they'll duplicate what they already have. But in other instances, they'll see like there's a hole in this market that needs to be filled. And I'm aware of this technology. And if I marry that to the audience that I currently have, uh, we're going to have something here. So I'll give you a great example. Coin. It was a dietitian, uh, wanted to open a gym, but she also wanted to have a private practice. And so she was working out of a hospital making, I don't know, $40,000 a year, whatever you make as a dietitian in Florida. She opened up a coaching business for other dietitians. And within a year, she had a book. She had a, a program to help gym owners add a nutrition practice to their business legally. Uh, she's been at CrossFit HQ. She's done the CrossFit podcast, you know, several times now, uh, and and she came out of our program. Now she has like 500 gyms using her program, you know. Wow, um, yeah, million dollar company. She's a published author, and you know that's a great example of somebody who's made it to that Tinker Face.
1: This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur holds you to call. Speaking of uh, of books and stuff, you're, this is not your first book. You've you've published uh, a couple, at least yeah. at least two or three, right? At this point, yeah. Uh, one one of them has sold over twenty thousand copies. Does it ever get any easier? <laughs> <laughs> I mean what's what what have you learned about the process and the benefits cuz obviously there's no benefit necessarily in just writing a book. I mean it's <laughs> it's not like you know there's there's really no money to be made in writing and being an author. It's about right. what you do after that, right? So what have you what have, what has surprised you about that process?
0: Well, I think it's I think that I had to learn over time that the book is not the end, that the the book is there to clearly say, this is my platform, ask me questions. Because it's very, very easy to be the critic, right, Mike? Like Mm -hmm. It's very easy to say, that guy's wrong, this is wrong, never do this. And when I was blogging on a a site called don'tbuyads.com 10 years ago, my first few blog posts were like that. And I would just say, that's got to be wrong, that won't work. And finally, a reader said, probably my only reader, was like, well, what should we do? And what happened was that I started writing about what should you do. And I kept that in mind you know, the whole time. And so every book that's come since that very first one, which was the one that sold 20,000 copies, has been prescriptive instead of reactive. Hmm. Hmm. Which is hard. Which is very hard. And, and it means that you have to try things and measure them and actually prove that they work before you put them in print. You know, uh, Nassim Taleb wrote that many good business books should have been good business essays. You know, there's like one good idea. And then the author talks about that same thing for 200 pages. Mm -hmm. I'm really cautious not to do that. And so, you know, the first book took 4 days and and a publish now button to print. Now it takes over a year. And, And the hard part is like, you have to keep changing
1: it and updating it you know yeah 100% yeah and you have to 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 bring bring it home on the the last phase of entrepreneurship which is the thief process i mean you have to constantly be taking you, you having your antennas out and as you know who Cameron Harold is probably yeah, absolutely I've you know that rip off and duplicate right like you know i mean that's what that's what i mean we're all thieves in one way shape or form and you have to be comfortable doing that and taking learning from others and adapting it to your own business and 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 marrying it as you've said with your own expertise and skills and gifts so how do people get comfortable doing that
0: well so
1: when i wrote the first book
0: the, the things that people should have criticized about my first book were mechanical. Like, there's no page numbers in this book. And and why is there a section two and no section one? And why is there no table of contents, right? But what they actually criticized were like, hey, I read this in the e myth already. How can Chris put it in his book? Or I read this in Good to Great, you know, Hedgehog. Chris doesn't own that. What I did was I said, "Here's how the hedgehog concept applies to a fitness business, or here's um, the roles and tasks that the email spelled out for a gym," you know, and that that book was literally a cut and paste of about twenty blog posts. I shifted, it, and it's the best selling fitness business book of all time. <laughs> so it's not really like the thievery as much as the translation and mm-hmm. and how can you make this lesson applicable to your niche. Hmm.
1: I love that. Actually, I love that taking taking a concept that might be out there that was super groundbreaking, and and you know what's his name, um, Jim Collins is not going to like. He's not going to write anything about how the hedgehog applies to gym businesses, no. or financial services companies, or realtor. I mean, he's just going to. He's got that concept, and it's going to be up to somebody else to say, okay, here's how it's applicable to your business. That's brilliant. That's actually really brilliant. When you look at the idea of entrepreneurship and and being an entrepreneur and it's hard it's, it's there, there's a, there's a ton of challenges ego putting it down uh, <laughs> yeah. picking it up when it needs to, to be there like dealing with all of the the, the the talkers about the hustle and the grind and like it's not about that part. Being an entrepreneur at the end of the day is really about becoming who you were created to be. And I know that's something that you talk about is the importance of, of making sure that you are building yourself throughout this entire process. So how? what are some signs that somebody has lost sight of the importance of building themselves up? And how do you get people to course correct?
0: Well, some signs after the fact, or, or maybe some symptoms, would be their Symptom, key. Yeah. Their key staff are leaving to start their own company. You know, which means that they probably align with the owner's vision, but not the owner's values. They just can't stand working for them anymore. That happens quite a bit. You know, we get to this level, and, and there's all these psychological barriers now. Imposter syndrome is one. Fear is another. Ego is a third. And the owner just starts to clamp down and and. You know, tries to control every facet. That's a mistake, and that's a mistake that my team will say that I fall into often. Um, and so, what we do is we we usually talk to like key people in the business. You know, how does Chris react when this happens? What happens when you bring a new idea? Does Chris immediately say no, or does he take time to think about it? How much freedom do you have to act on your ideas? You know, and that'll give us a really good picture of is the. Is the entrepreneur actually ready to be in the tinker phase? And none of us are. You know, none of us are born to this. Mm-hmm. We all have to learn. So we actually have to rewire the entrepreneur's brain, and we do that through a combination of exercise and uh, flow state practice. So w- we'll tell people like, first, in the tinker phase, go find a coach. You know, and CrossFit is perfect for most entrepreneurs. Um, second, you've got to find time where all you're doing is thinking and getting yourself out. And third. A lot of the times, honestly, Mike, like
1: we have to smack their, their hand and say, get your fingers out of the machine. Let mm-hmm. these people do their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I, I totally agree with you that you're, you're probably familiar with Dr. Albert Bandura's stuff on sure. self efficacy. Absolutely. So, so I actually think that, like, one of the reasons why I think CrossFit is so good is because it, re- it is the gateway to reminding, to, reminding, to physically. Reminding your brain that you're effective, and that you could yeah. do hard things, things that make you very uncomfortable, and because you're doing, you often are doing things at high intensity under some load. It requires like your intense focus because if you don't, you're going to destroy your your body, and so you are your your awareness, your attention, and your mood are all like dialed in and so it's no wonder that after that workout not only do you get the endorphins but you also get this creative like outlet because there's all kinds of new neural pathways that are firing i've experienced that i'm not I don't, I don't own a gym but but i credit crossfit with a lot of my own personal growth and believing in what that i'm worthy that i can that i can do hard things That I can do great things with the hard things that I've experienced, and and I think that every single entrepreneur needs to do something physically challenging, and then go create because they will go, they will get into that flow state. They will they will go do something hard, and they will then go into being able to create in ways they never have done before. Yeah, that's
0: right. And I actually lay that out quite a bit in the book. Like you need a you need a focus window that comes right after exercise. And you need a shipping window when you're just very productive at like checking things off a list.
1: Yeah. Um, For and, me and that's cross- the morning. There you my go. My shipping window oh, is the morning. You know, perfect. like you know, I get up at, you know, five, five thirty, I have a prayer and meditation time, and then bust out my computer and bam, 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 tasks. Like low mm. stuff that doesn't require a lot of my, you know. Um, creative brain function. And that right. I can just... It just frees up so much. It removes friction from my brain. I don't have to think about it. Exactly. Yeah. Get the log jam out of there. Did you... When you were thinking about... I know obviously the, the title of the book, Founder, Farmer, Tinker, Thief. Have you ever seen the, the movie Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy?
0: No. So it's funny. After I came up with this name... Somebody said, that reminds me of a book I read in high school, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. And I was like, oh my God, am I ripping this off subconsciously? Like, did I see that title somewhere? So I actually bought the book. And, you know, between
1: me and you and the listeners, I really didn't like it. I didn't even finish it. So, no, I. Yeah. I mean, well, it's totally not germane to what you're doing anyway. I yeah, mean, it's. Yeah. The movie's actually good. The movie is, is good, but um, there you go. I'll try again with the movie then. Yeah, yeah, I know it's got a great all star cast. I enjoyed that movie, but cool. I uh, I want to encourage people to go pick up a copy of Founder, Farmer, Tinker, Thief, especially if you're in the entrepreneurial world. You're feeling like you just don't know where you are on the map. Um, you don't know how to integrate other people's good ideas and make them your own in your own business in your own way. It's just a phenomenal roadmap to help you do that. Uh, where can people go online to, to connect with you and get the book and, and interact with the work that you're doing?
0: The best spot is to go to twobrain.com and they can actually take the entrepreneurial test while they're there. So if they go to twobrain.com forward slash test, you'll find out what phase you're in. And then from there, you can book an appointment to talk to one of the mentors about what to do to move on to the next phase. Or you can even get on our email list like everyone else
1: does. And they can—they don't have to be a gym owner in order to work with you guys. They can—you can work no. with all—you work with all kinds of entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, I mean, so we—we've had solopreneurs who are in the tinker phase now. We've had multi-million-dollar, uh, huge corporations that are like in the founder phase. You know, we work mm-hmm. with everyone now.
1: Now, uh, I always conclude the conversation with the same three questions: whether it's the lead solo pilot for the Blue Angels or. Um, one of my friends here in Santa Cruz who's an up-and-coming entrepreneur and innovator. And the first of those three questions is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess, so a skill you already have, and turn it into a superpower, what would it be? I would have to say writing. I would really love to be a better writer. Hmm. What do you do right now to, to practice? Besides writing every day,
0: so, yeah. So writing every day, but also um, actually when CrossFit laid off their entire media team, the editor in chief was a close friend, and he and I, you know, uh, incorporated a new business right away. So he's my editor now, Mike Workington. and uh, he gives me feedback. I
1: look at the feedback and say, okay, I see what he did here and why. Hmm. Yeah, that's mind-boggling. I actually just realized, yeah, they they did lay off their whole media team. You know. And... <laughs> Yeah. It, and um, I, you know, being here in Santa Cruz, I bump into a lot of people all the time. Like, what's his name, Savan? Savon, Savon uh, is a good friend too. Yeah, you know. Uh, us, yeah. Um, so I, I see him at the local cafe shop that we we frequent, and and I, I was asking him, like, hey, well, I haven't seen you guys doing your podcast lately. He's like, oh yeah, we we're taking a permanent break on that for a while, like, you know. So, <laughs> um, but he's a good, he's a good dude. What are three lies that prevent that we tell ourselves? Three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from realizing what we're really capable of. They can't afford it. I'm not as good as the person around me. And what I have to say doesn't matter. Hmm. Which one of those do you struggle with the most? Yeah, I'm not sure.
0: Hey, so. If I if I look at like they can't afford it and turn that into they don't want it, I can give you a great example from this week. So uh, we just had our two brain summit. You know, four hundred gym owners are are with us in Chicago, and up until now, our second phase of mentorship has been one call a month. And the only reason that it was one call a month was because that's what I do with my mentor. And it never occurred to me that anybody would want two calls a month. So after the summit, we come home and people are texting, "How do I get two calls a month?" And I'm thinking like. These guys are going to go from you know they're going to double the price. We don't give discounts, so I sent out an email and said, "If you want to do two calls a month, here's the price. Click this link." And you know, twenty people signed up in the first five minutes. It, so I think like that self limiting belief of just because I don't want something, it formerly because I can't afford something, but no, that's not the case now, uh, has stopped me in many cases from helping people to my true potential.
1: Wow, wow, that's that's a great lesson. It's a great lesson. Yeah. Now the last question is has to do with uh, um, a book by a guy named Clay Christensen, who's a famous guy out of Harvard. But but before I ask that question, tell me what your favorite art form is. Writing. Yeah. Okay. So it's a hundred years from now, and you've left a set of instructions for a writer to to basically put together an authorized biography of Chris Cooper's story. What would the, the spine of that biography be and the instructions read to that, that author?
0: Yeah, the, so The Spine is a book I've already written and it's called Help First and that has been uh, groundbreaking for me uh, from a personal values and mission standpoint to just making me better at sales and the instructions would be seek out examples to serve because the path to happiness lies through the service of others. There's no getting
1: around it. Hmm. Dude, that that was a beautiful way to put a period on a great conversation. Thanks. Thank you so (laughs) much, Chris. This has been great. Thank you for impacting the Impact Entrepreneur Show audience today. Thanks, Mike. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting FlynWealthstrategies.com, The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters, we could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact.